Hi, welcome to another episode of Interrogatories with Josh Campson. I'm your host, Josh Campson. Today we have Kerry Hall on. Now, Kerry is another criminal defense uh, slash family law slash general practice attorney here in the Montgomery County area, and he is a true solo. Uh, so he and I talk about not having anyone to work with, uh, especially during a pandemic, and we talk about him as a musician because his side gig is he's been playing guitar for over 20 years. So he's in a band, a rock band, and uh, we talk a lot about that and kind of the lessons that transfer over from practicing law to being a musician, uh, as well as how a guy from Georgia by way of Florida, by way of Maryland, ended up in Montgomery County. So it's a very interesting conversation. A lot of good lessons, I think, especially for young lawyers. Take a listen. I hope you enjoy. As always, remember to check us out on iTunes, uh, subscribe, give us that five-star review, and any complaints, uh, just keep to yourself. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode, and thanks for listening. Kerry, thanks for joining us on Interrogatories. Hey, glad to be here. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. How are you? Not bad. Can't complain. You know, it's kind of one of those things, you know, it's good to see you, good to be seen. We're six feet above ground, so it's a good day. Well, actually, I am underground. I'm in my basement dungeon office, which is the only place I'm allowed to work from uh, in my house. Right. So so I'm probably, I don't know, only two feet underground, so that's not too bad. I've got a little window over here, so it's not horrible. Close enough, as long as there's some sunlight. Exactly, exactly. So you are in your home office as well. Have you been back to your regular office at all since last year? I have. I make it in about once or, twi- once or twice a month. And I was actually in there yesterday. So, you know, I'm feeling pretty spiffy, you know, that I actually have to get in the car and drive anywhere these days. So, yeah, that's the way of it. Now, you're a solo attorney. Are you a true solo or do you have staff? No, I am a true solo. I, I take out the trash. I answer the phones. You know, I am chief cook and bottle washer. And how long have you been doing that as a solo? Good God. I want to say, you know, 2002, 2003. And, uh, you know, so far so good. You know, it's a blessing and a curse. And, uh, you know, you've done the solo thing, so you know how it is. And uh, you know, some days you're on top of the, you know, it's like some days you're the fly, some days you're the windshield. That's, that's a good analogy. I like it. But you didn't start out up here, right? You practiced in, what was it, Maryland before? I, I, I did. I, I graduated law school many moons ago in 1995, and I practiced in Maryland for five years. I was living in Baltimore and, and clerked for a judge in Baltimore County, which surrounds Baltimore City. Uh, Towson's the county seat just north of that. Towson University is there, so folks may know that. And clerked for a judge there. And uh, went out and hung out a shingle at age 25 after the clerkship for a year because, hey, I knew everything, right? Remember when you were 25? And uh, so I was God's gift to the practice of law and and actually encouraged by the judge who had been a solo for a long time uh, before he ascended to the bench. And, and, and he said, listen, look, you know, you, you can do this. I did this. Give it a whirl. And so I did that for a year, uh, and then my well, my wife then, now ex-wife, you know, got pregnant with our first, and all of a sudden decided that health insurance might be something that we should look into. So I ended up working for a firm down there for four years, and then ultimately, for family reasons, we moved up to PA in 2000. So I, I so came you here were, a little bit of a lo- the long way. Yeah. So you were clerking in Maryland. How did you end up with the clerkship in Maryland? Because you went to law school in Florida, right? I did. I went to University of Miami for law school, and it was just – we knew we wanted to be up here. You know, My ex went to Loyola, 
uh, college in in Baltimore. We knew we wanted to end up in the Baltimore area. So I just, you know, cold sent a whole bunch of letters to trial court judges and hoping that, that something got in. And, and for whatever reason, dumb luck, you know, he liked what I wrote and, and, and I got in. And, and it was a great it, it was a great clerkship. I mean, it should be required. And so this judge tells you, oh, go out, do it on your own. You can figure it out. And, and then you did, it sounds like. Um, I, I did. I did for a year, like I say, at age 25, which is ridiculous. Um, but it's it's what I did. And frankly, there's a lot of young attorneys now that are doing that now. I mean, it's you know, it's it's hard to find work as a new attorney. And so you get a huge influx of 20 something attorneys that are doing the solo route when it was unheard of 30 years ago. Uh, but I did it and did it for a year. So I guess in the back of my head, I always knew that I had that to fall back on. You know, it might have been ramen noodles. But it wasn't starvation. And and so worked for a firm for four years there in Maryland, worked for a couple of firms for a couple of years when I moved up to Pennsylvania. And then ultimately, the opportunity uh, is probably a nice way to put it, it to become a solo again, uh, reared its head and I took it and I've been going ever since. Uh, looking back, so when you restarted your solo firm in 2001, 2002 up here, looking back to when you were 26, you know, what, what did you do differently when you started up the second time? You know, what mistakes do you think you made the first time that you tried to remedy uh, the second time or none? I mean, you said you were God's gift to the practice of law. So maybe you uh, made no mistakes and you just copied and pasted and were good to go. You know, I, uh, a good question. It's one of the things that I did. I, I was lucky enough. The judge that I clerked for also happened to have been a president of the Baltimore County Bar Association uh, down there. So very early on, he ingrained in me join your local bar association. And, and that was some of the best advice that, that he gave me. And I did. And it was a much smaller operation down there than it is in Montgomery County up here. Uh, but I got involved uh, and, and I met a lot of people. And for a year, that kind of because as a solo, your bar association becomes your law firm, you know, and it's a huge law firm. And you've got somebody that practices in every area. And you can bounce ideas off of people and you can grab a beer with people. And, and there's just every resource, you know, substantive, you know, pra law practice management, technological, anything. You know, there's always somebody that you can talk to. So I had done that down in Maryland. And so when I moved up to Pennsylvania, that was one of the first things I did was was join a bar association and try and get involved. So by the time I went solo in Pennsylvania, you know, I, I already knew a lot of people um, just from bar associations. And that made it. That was a good idea. Uh, that was something that I did again. I mean, to this day, I'm, I'm active in, in the Montgomery Bar Association, and it's still one of the best decisions I've ever made. So, And you and I are chatting as a result of it. So, Yeah, of course. And uh, this podcast brought to you by the Montgomery Bar Association. Right. So you're a true solo, and you're kind of a jack of all trades, right? You do criminal, family, and civil litigation? Uh, mostly. I, I, I do mostly criminal defense and family law, but right, sure, there's civil litigation in there. There's, you know, I kind of joke, whatever jams my friends and family get into, I need to figure out the the Latin for what that is and, and make a bumper sticker out of it because that probably sounds more highfalutin and intellectual than, you know, kitchen sink. But, you know, the, the joke goes, and, and, and maybe it's true for, you know, some of those listening as well. You know, all my high school and college buddies, we all got together and said, somebody's got to go to law school to bail the rest of us out. And I drew the short straw. And did you go to high school up here? No, I went I went to high school down in Florida as well. I, I, oh, I that's not helping my, you at all then. 
So the whole thing, yeah, the whole no. plan backfired. So I've lived in South Georgia. I lived in South Florida. I went to college in, in Manhattan. You know, then I was back in Miami for law school, then Baltimore, then Pennsylvania. Like, I don't know quite where I'm from, and I just pick up a little bit of everything. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill, and it all bunches up together. And are there any things that you mispronounce or that people say, why is he uh, talking like that? Well, no. When I moved up from Maryland, you know, I thought, wow, what's this proto-notary? You know, and, you know, I, I know you had Noah on before. So, you know, when I first asked about that, they're like, you're not from around here, are you, boy? You know, so I, I used to have like a Dukes of Hazard Southern accent. And and I lost that when I when I moved from South Georgia to South Florida because somebody just made an observation. I was 10. You know, you're looking that you're in a new school. You're in fifth grade. You want to be like everybody else. You want to wear the same clothes. You want to you know, you don't want to. You don't want to you don't want to be an individual when you're that age. And and somebody made the point when they first met me, gee, you talk country, you know, and I don't think that was, you know, no one was making fun of me, I think. It, but as a little kid, I was like, ooh, that's different. That's not good. You know, now I love different, you know, back then different, not so good. So I lost my southern accent, like literally in a day or so. I think it was some little kid defense mechanism. I just lost it. So, you know, I don't really have it, but sometimes people can tell words that I say. I still say y'all and ain't and that dog don't hunt and just for kicks. When you have a couple of the drinks, does it ever come back out? I have a friend from law school who's from Boston. You can, and he doesn't really have a Boston accent, but you get two drinks into him and he's dropping those eyes like uh, like they're made of hot coal. You know, I don't know. Well, I mean, we can experiment. Maybe that can we can have like a like a tipsy interview, you know, for round two and see. There we go. So you've practiced kind of all over. You know, you've been in law school in Florida, practiced in Maryland, now you're up here. What big differences have you noticed in the practice of law, if any? Maryland had, um, it didn't have local rules. So it just had, I mean, Maryland's a pretty small state, but uh, it, it just had state rules. So you could be in Western Maryland and then on the Eastern shore and it was the same rules. And you know, I moved up to Pennsylvania and I found out every county has its local rules. It, it's much better now. But even 20 years ago, you know, I mean, some counties you had, especially some of the more rural counties, you had to have blue backers on everything. I mean, there was just this, they had their own, I mean, every jurisdiction has their own double secret rules that aren't written, you know, but then you've got your local rules as well, which are meant to be, I don't know, I guess a little bit protectionist. Yes. You know, it's kind of like there's some kind of gotcha in there that the out of town lawyer isn't going to know about. And, and maybe that's good for the hometown folks. Uh, so it was... Not only did I have to learn a whole new, you know, criminal procedure, civil procedure, but I had to learn the local rules. You know, so even if you're going to try and practice in a five county area around around us, it makes it it makes it difficult, you know, and and the rules for, you know, the highly urban areas, you know, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. I mean, that's just they're its own creatures. I mean, that's like its own thing, its own language. It's an Esperanto or whatever it is. And uh, it's. It's hard. I mean, it was a lot of work trying to figure it out. And, uh, you know, I found out that it, the Commonwealth does its own thing. You know, when your state constitution is older than if 20 years older than the U.S. Constitution, you got your own ways of doing things. Um, Maryland attorneys used to get tripped up because the general statute of limitations, say for like an auto accident, was three years. Well, in Pennsylvania, it's two years. So if you had something that happened really close to the state line, you know, you were getting some Maryland attorneys that were committing malpractice and missing a, a statute of limitations. So, you know, I knew that from just being down in Maryland. So, uh, you know, that and, and 
the words that were ingrained in me by my civil procedure professor, read the rules. You know, and, yep. and, and so, you know, I, I, I got, I had to get schooled in it and I'm, I'm still schooling myself every day. I think that's why they call it the practice of law. You're never going to get it right. So, um, yeah, every so often I'll do something crazy, like actually read the rules again. Yeah, I like that. It's why I've never thought about that. That's why it's called the practice, because you're always practicing. You're never perfecting. You're never yeah, perfect. Yeah, but they also, call, they also call it the practice of medicine, and that makes me a little, you know, a little nervous, you know, true. for the appendectomy. That's yeah. true. Um, so speaking of practicing, uh, you also are a practicing musician, right? I am. And uh, do you sing? Do you sing? Do you play instruments? What's your situation? I, yeah, I sing a little bit. I'm I'm in a classic rock cover band, and I and I've been in several for for years. It's just my outlet. You know, I've I've been playing guitar since between high school and college, and it's just been a fun hobby. You know, frankly, it it saves on psychotherapy. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good, you know, you're feeling aggressive, you know, you can bang out some ACDC, you're feeling melancholy, you know, you can strum a ballad, um, you know, and, and as a kid, you know, actually being able to make some of the music that you grew up with and, and affected you and kind of, you know, got you through high school and all that kind of thing, uh, was just empowering. You know, I've, I've grown up, my mom played piano in church. So I grew up with a piano in the house and just grew up with music all the time and learning harmony just by by sitting in, in, in a church from the people singing around me. I actually went to a church, a Baptist church in South Georgia where people sang and uh, and sang well in harmony. And I learned a lot of that stuff. And so that's that's kind of in my DNA. And so, yeah, so I, I play, you know, a, a couple times a month, although, you know, COVID kind of put us put a wrench in, in the, the old gig schedule. But it's starting to creep back up, and and yeah, that that's what I do. That's how I kind of keep my sanity, or hope to. So, do you play the piano? Just the piano? What else do you play? No, no, I, I play guitar mostly. I mean, I, I fool around on piano a little bit, but you know, I'm I'm a little better than chopsticks, but not a whole lot. I think once upon a time, I taught myself how to play uh, Sister Christian, you know, but I've since lost that. Uh, uh-huh. You know, so there, there's a few things that I can do, and I need to know basses, but I, I play guitar. You know, I'm a, I play electric guitar in the band, but, you know, fool around with acoustic, uh, you know, when I'm feeling sensitive. What's the name of your current band? We can get a plug in here. Sure, yeah. My my, my current band is called, we've been playing for eight years. Uh, we're called Rougarou. It's R-O-U-G-A-R-O-U. And the Rougarou is kind of a sw- mythical swamp werewolf beast uh, that hails from the Cajun swamps. And, uh, you know, you get... You know, parents from Louisiana will kind of, you know, to keep their kids from getting lost in, in the swamps, will tell you if you go out there, the Rougarou is going to get you. And uh, so that's just kind of, we just adopted that. It's kind of, believe me, if you start a band, you'll find out very quickly how hard it is to come up with a band name that hasn't already been thought of. You know, every little witty phrase, every little, you know, though something has been taken. So uh, Rougarou hadn't been taken, although I think there probably is a Louisiana band that has it as well. So... So that's what we do. We we play around in, in Bucks County, Montgomery County. We we played a place or two in Northeast Philly. Um, so we're we're fairly local and and we're out and folks can come out and see me not wear a suit and uh, put the hair down and uh, we just have a good time. And I guess it's not a band of just lawyers because then obviously your band name would have had to have been some kind of legal pun. Right, the briefs, you know, or something like that. But yeah, no, I, I'm the only lawyer, thankfully. But. Uh, so it's good if people get in trouble leaving the bar, you know, it's, you know, you got to scatter a few cards there at the end of the show. No, I don't, but it's, 
Uh, no, no, nobody I mean, else. You're, you're kidding. You only do urinal cakes. It's fine. Absolutely. Right there. Yeah. The bullseye. You can hit me right between the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. But so speaking of letting your hair down, uh, this is obviously audio only, but you've got, uh, you know, a un- we both have a unique hairstyle. Mine is. Yeah, we do. Between Mine the is both none. Of us, we have a normal hairstyle between the both of us. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, you know, I think we both have unique looks. You know, mine's a bald guy with a beard and a bow tie. And you're the guy with the really long ponytail. Um, I'm the guy with the ponytail. I, I had, uh, you know, I grew it. I started growing it long, you know, just out of college. And then I had it long in law school. You know, knowing full well that I'd have to cut it, I'd have to sell out and be the man. You know, I'd have to get the business cut. So I figured I'd, I'd let it all hang out. And so everybody knew me in law school as the guy with long hair. And, and, and actually, I kind of suspected that I might get picked on the very, very first day of law school. You know, when the whole paper chase, you're going to get called on to brief the case. So I was ready. I was like, man, they're going to make an example out of me. And sure enough, out of two of my two of my four classes, the very first day of 1L, I got called on. Oh, wow. I was ready. And I got, yeah, I was SIP pro and it was property. And they just looked around and they picked the long hair. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? But I got my class participation right out of the way. I could do crosswords for the rest of for the rest of the semester. And uh, so there you go. So I got the business cut. And then, you know, midlife crisis, you know, several years ago, you know, should I grow along again just for kicks, something to do? I'm in the band. And, you know, if if you try and grow your hair along from having a business cut, you have to suffer through a horrendous mullet for like eight to nine months. So you just have to if you if you're going to suffer through that, it's eight or nine months of of looking like a total rude. Um, and then you can get a little ponytail and that was it. And I thought I was going to get heat, uh, from the bench. But by that time I had been practicing for some time up here in in Pennsylvania. And so, you know, I'd get a double take from the bench from a judge who I already knew. And, you know, you get the Mr. Hall, you know, approach the bench for a minute. So that's an off the record sidebar, you know, and you get the judge going, Mr. Hall, I haven't seen you in a bit. Your practice not doing so well. You can't afford a haircut. You know, and you yep. think, oh, man, Judge, you know, that's cold. You know, wait a minute. Do we need to talk about what's under that, you know, black robe there? And there's like a huh, step back, you know. So yeah. there's a mutual understanding right away. And quickly, and I don't know, I didn't plan on it, but I, I found out that people are like, oh, yeah, he's the guy with the ponytail. And I thought, huh, you know, that, so maybe that. So maybe it's not as bad as I think. And and there you go. I'm just waiting for the hair to go completely white if I still have it. And then I'll rock the Gandalf look. And when you're playing, do you actually take the ponytail out and really like, you know, headbang? People can't see it, but yeah, I'm doing I it. Do. My hair's not going I'm, anywhere. I'm 50 now. If I headbanged, I'd probably break a hip. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll head shake with vigor. But, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I pulled the, the little ponytail holder out just because I can and because it's a goof and it's, and it's fun. So uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Some questions that we ask all of our guests, and you have not heard the other episodes yet, which is great, so you don't have any spoilers. The first question is the most important, which is, uh, what is your opinion on the Oxford comma? Do you use it, and do you know what it is? Okay, so I I think the Oxford comma is like, if you're going to say one, two, and three, you have to decide if you're going to put the comma after two. Correct. Like a list. Is that that the Oxford comma? Okay. Until recently, you know... The Oxford comma, I typically don't use, but sometimes I do if I think it makes it clear in reading text. Um, just, so you're, just you're kind of a switch lies. hitter. I am. I am. I, I use it if I think it facilitates communication, like if there needs to be that break. I kind of write like I speak. 
And and so I try and, and avoid, you know, a lot of the legalese. And so I, I think, I guess, as I'm writing, how it would sound is if I was reading it. And if there needs to be a break there, then I'll put the comma. So, yeah, I'm a switch hitter. It's, I, I'm, <laughs> I have no loyalty to either team. Well, that's the first, I, I tell you, that's the first time we've gotten that answer. So I appreciate it. What is something that you get wrong almost every time you do it? Wow, something I get wrong? Oh. I can tell you for me, this know. was my first three years of practice. Pretty much anything I tried to e-file, I got wrong. And I got a phone call from the superior court saying, you screwed another one up. Um, you forgot to attach this or this page was upside down or whatever. But now, I, now I'm really good at it after you know, that I many mistakes. Right. As, 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 a tr- as a true solo, I mean, I've got to know how to do all that stuff as well. So I, I do. And I make the mistake, you know, I, it's, I don't mind making a mistake. I'd like to just make it once. And I try to learn from them. The, the same judge that I clerked for, he gave me another sage piece of advice. And that was, you know, and maybe it's not so politically correct now, but I'll say it anyway, just to make the point. Um, he said, whenever you're in a jurisdiction you're not familiar with, he's like, go in person, go find the lady with the whitest hair at the, at the clerk's office you know, introduce yourself, tell her you were dumb as a stump and that you need her help. She'll be the one that's been there since the time of Moses, that when the judges don't remember or understand something, they go to her and ask her for guidance. And so point being, ingratiate yourself, you know, seek advice from those that know and follow it and learn from others. Um, and, and that's what I've tried to do. Uh, you know, as a young attorney, you know, I, I sought the advice of, of those older than me, and I, and I was fortunate to be around them in bar association settings. And I'd sit around and I'd just listen to stories, you know. And every law, you know, go to a bar association is full of stories. People love to talk. You know, shocker there, lawyers, yep. right? You know, but to sit around and, and listen to you know the OGs of the bar tell you stories about how it used to be and, and the practice of law, you learn something. You know, and then now I find myself at the ripe age of 50, you know, being one of those old guys now and, uh, you know, who remembers what it was like not to have a cell phone. You know, God forbid. Can you imagine? And uh, how did you practice law without smartphones? You know, well, sit on down, you know, young, young whippersnapper. And let me tell you how it is. And uh, so I, I, I can't say that there's anything that I keep making the same mistake over and over. I'll make mistakes, but typically not the same one over and over. But it, because I, I just try and learn from my mistakes. And, and again, that goes back to the practice of law. You know, I'll keep practicing because I'm never going to get it right, but hopefully I won't make the same mistake twice. And I'm sure it applies to the practice of music too. I have no musical ability, so I'm not allowed to practice, but uh, I'm sure it's the same application, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, the, make the mistakes. Uh, and sometimes that they say if you make a mistake, like playing something – just keep making that same mistake, play that thing over and over, and they think you're playing jazz. So the, the question I usually end with, um, but I think you've already answered it twice, but we'll see if you have another answer, is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And you've already passed along a couple pieces of good advice you've gotten, but I'm curious if there's a best piece of advice you've ever gotten. I, I did kind of say it already, but it, uh, this, this judge, I'll tell you, I mean, he was, he was such a mentor, uh, you know, to me, and just he was just a good guy that, that just took the time um i was his third law clerk it was his third year on the bench and 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 he really took the time to sit down and talk to me about about things um and 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 why we did things the way that we did and and to be civil 
with each other. I, I remember there was one day that it's we, we it was motions day, you know, and they just would roll and they, it was different down in, in the way Baltimore County Circuit Court was. And like one day, you'd never know what it was. It wasn't like, oh, you sat criminal or you sat family or something. It was you'd have everything, you know, and, and you didn't know until the morning of until somebody from the equivalent of court administration came up and told you what you were doing about 9 a.m. So sometimes they'd roll up a big cart with motions. And so, OK, you weren't in court. It was you were dealing with paper motions and there was a motion for summary judgment. And you know, I guess one side had had not filed a response. And so I'm like, oh, well, judge, this is easy. Grant the motion for summary judgment. He's like, hold on, scribe. That's what he called me. He say, you know, hold the hold the phone there, scribe. Why don't you pick up the phone and talk to, you know, call the respondent counsel and say, we don't have anything that you've filed in response. Get this to us within 48 hours or it's going to be granted. And I thought, but the rules, you know, say it, they're late. And the judge is like, you know what's going to happen if we grant this? And like, we don't know if it's lost in the mail or it just was an oversight. You know, it's, we don't play gotcha. We're not going to do that. Call opposing counsel and, and see what you can do. So uh, this guy, I mean, just, he totally was the bedrock of, of my practice of law. But one thing he did say, and he wrote it, he inscribed it to a book that he gave me at the end of my clerkship. It was seek those uh, that have walked the path before you and follow their advice. And, and so that's the piece of advice I would give to everyone else. You, you, you don't you don't have to have the world on your shoulders. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, there are folks that have done it before you, and they really are more than happy and pleased to help you. Um, it's especially like in our bar association. I'll plug it again. We all want each other to succeed. You know, we like each other. We see each other. Yeah. We greet each other's with with smiles, and and it's it's great. It's like one big happy family. Dysfunctional at times, but, uh, you know, like a true family. And, and we all want each other to succeed. And so for the young bloods, and, and for even those that, you know, are kind of moving into another practice area or something, you know, talk to people. Seek out those that have walked the path before you and follow their advice. You know, that's what I've done. It, it's been great. You know, I find myself giving advice now. And, and it's like the, it's the circle of life. So that that's... That's what I would pass on. That's great to hear. Uh, it's a story for another podcast, but the judge that I clerked for, the only thing he gave us as a parting gift, me and my fellow law clerk, was a statement to the press uh, because he was resigning uh, after having stolen and being found to have stolen uh, cocaine from various criminal cases in front of our court. So the thing, and the parting gift was, of course, uh, you know, me having to testify in front of a grand jury. But that's going to be a, a pod separately with my former law partner. We'll go over that story and the yeah, most stressful I'll, I'll six months that I'll, I'll be i want to interview you for that and then i my questions will be like and then what happened and then what happened yeah yeah well stay tuned because we're we'll have that i'm gonna have my former partner on who was the other law clerk at the time and we'll go we'll rehash that history um that's you know the indictments the indictments in the public sphere so anyone can check that out and we'll post it later but carrie this was great um let's leave it there i appreciate you coming on. And uh, if anyone's looking for you, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, carriebhall.com. It's C-A-R-Y-B as in boy, H-A-L-L.com. That's me. Great. Thanks very much. No, thank you, Josh. Thanks for listening to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. 
This podcast is a production of the Montgomery Bar Association in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Views expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and not their employers or the Montgomery Bar Association. No content in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Interrogatories, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review. For more information, visit us at www.montgomerybar.org.